0: Thank you for listening to the Creative Careers in Medicine podcast. If you're a fan of the show, we're pretty confident you'll be a fan of our in-person events. Our team is currently hard at work planning our 2024 Creative Careers in Medicine conference, which will be held Saturday March 9th and Sunday March 10th at Novotel Brighton Beach, Sydney. This year we're exploring the future of healthcare with the theme Meet Me in the Metaverse. We'll bring together speakers and delegates from all walks of medicine in a weekend that's set to inspire and excite you. We promise this won't be your typical medical conference. You can find out more about the event on our website, which is creativecareersinmedicine.com or on our socials, which are all linked in the show notes below. We hope to see you in the metaverse. Welcome to the Creative Careers in Medicine podcast with your host, Dr. Dana Pun, and myself, Dr. Elise Hutt. Join us as we talk to inspiring clinicians who have redefined their careers. Hi, Dr. Helena Franco. Thank you so much for joining me on the Creative Careers in Medicine podcast.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate
0: it. Can you please introduce yourself? Who is Dr. Helena Franco in essence?
1: My name's Helena. I was born and raised in Brisbane, Queensland, and I did medicine as an undergraduate. Straight from medicine, I spent a lot of time working in surgery, particularly in orthopedic surgery. And then I took a little bit of a career detour two years ago, and I went overseas to study a Master's of Medical Sciences in Global Health Delivery. And that was sort of the first opportunity I'd really had to have formal postgraduate education in a field outside of medicine. It was the first time I was ever able to take elective subjects. And I could complete my research in a field in orthopaedics, but it combined my two interests. And now I'm back working as an ortho-PHO in Queensland. And outside of medicine? Outside of medicine, I have a very cute dog called Canela, which means cinnamon in Spanish. I love spending time with my friends and my family. And my favourite thing to do to de-stress or take my mind off whatever's bothering me is to go swimming.
0: Very nice. So, can we go back to the beginning and explore how you ended up in medicine in the first place? You mentioned that you did it as an undergraduate, so that would mean that you've gone straight from high school to medicine. And then after that, I'd love to explore a bit more about your passion and interest in orthopedics.
1: Yeah. So, as a high school student, I was actually really interested in law and did a lot of debating, really liked English as a student and also I have got family who work in law and then in my third term of year 12 I was able to do an experimental project at one of the hospital research institutes and what that was in was looking at kidney cells and recreating a type 2 diabetes environment where we were looking at particular transport proteins and that really made me very interested in the idea of pathophysiology and understanding how the body works and what happens when things go wrong and I thought to myself well actually if I think about it a little harder biology and chemistry are probably my favorite subjects and so I thought something that combines my real love of talking to people and meeting and, make, and building relationships with people and this interest that I'd found in the idea of understanding how something works and understanding how what happens when things go wrong, I thought I would do medicine. And so I was very lucky in getting into it as an undergraduate so I could experience it relatively early on to be able to see if it was the right career pathway for me and no doubt it was. And then so
0: once you got into medicine, and then you became a junior doctor. There were also like quite a lot of things that transpired during your junior doctor years, aside from becoming an orthopedic unaccredited registrar. Can you talk to us a bit more about how you, you know, fell into these roles? Like you were involved in AMA Queensland and also, you know, surgical, I believe it, it was an association that you were leading as well.
1: Yeah. So when I was in med school, I really wanted to become involved in some type of. Society and there were a few different ones offered at Bond where I studied and the one that I ended up getting involved in was the Surgical Society and I started off as a second year volunteering as the event coordinator and I thought that was a great experience just to be able to meet new people in the med program and then after that I sort of became a president in my third year and after that was involved in the Australasian Student Surgical Association my initial involvement with them was that I was the academic convener of their annual surgical mm-hmm. conference when it was held in Brisbane. And then I progressed up to being the vice chair and then was the president of the International Association of Student Surgical Societies. So that really just started from wanting to meet new people and sort of be involved on a, another level with med school and then coincided with my interest in surgery. Out of all the surgical specialties, how did you end up
0: choosing orthopaedics?
1: I didn't want to do orthopaedics. I was pretty set on doing a surgical specialty and actually really liked ear, nose and throat surgery. I had done an elective in my final year of med school in ENT over in the United States, and I'd just come back from it. And my final rotation as a med student was two weeks of orthopedics, two weeks ICU, and two weeks anesthetics. And on my first day, I went into a list, which was a total hip replacement. It was an arthroplasty list. And I had a really wonderful consultant who's now become probably my biggest mentor in orthopedics and in medicine in general. And he was wonderful in taking me under his wing, introducing me to the concept of orthopedics, talking me through the procedure. And then for the next two weeks, I basically shadowed him and other consultants who he shared rooms with. And by the end of the two weeks, I said, I think I may be really interested in orthopedics. And I think that was a real sort of turning point because I'd always been someone who was very focused on ENT and then I took a step back again and thought, actually, maybe there's something else that really interests me. So in my intern and my junior house of CEI, specifically picked both an adult ENT and pediatric ENT rotation and similarly an adult orthopedics and a pediatric orthopedic rotation so I could see all parts of it. And... By the end of my second year, I thought, I think orthopedics is for me.
0: This isn't my first time sort of hearing this. We would need to sort of have an open mind and be exposed to different things before we rule out particular specialties in medicine and sometimes it can take us by surprise if we really give things a go.
1: Absolutely. I think the best advice I ever received about picking the specialty is not focusing necessarily on what specialty you do want to do, but potentially more what specialties you don't want to do. And as you start to discern what things are important to you in your career, if it's procedural elements or building relationships with patients or your love for anatomy, then you can start to sort of define a little bit that up, what those specialties may be that particularly interest you. I also think a great piece of advice I was given is It can be very different being a medical student in a specialty, actually being a doctor in the specialty. And so if there are particular ones that you're interested, I think getting an intern or resident rotation is a great opportunity to actually be able to experience a specialty in a little bit more depth.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, before I move on to my next question, congratulations is an order, I believe. Congratulations on winning the Harvard Prize. And we will come back to that with a bit more detail. But first, I would like us to talk a bit more about the backstory and how you even got to that point. I understand that you have graduated recently from Harvard Medical School with a Master's of Medical Sciences and Global Health Delivery as an RG Menzies Scholar of Australia, which is very, very impressive. And also, you received the Sir Keith Murdoch Scholarship, so well done on that. Would you mind sharing with me how that happened? Did it happen by chance or was this something that you had always planned to do? Like how did you end up taking a step away from clinical practice? Because a lot of us, once we finish medical school, our focus is very much zeroed in on getting onto a training program as soon as possible and then finishing as soon as possible to end up with the end goal of becoming a fellow. What made you decide to take this slightly different path?
1: I think it was a combination of having a plan and also a little bit of serendipity. I had always liked the idea of doing some type of postgraduate study, maybe overseas, like I mentioned. I think one of the big influencing reasons behind that, like I mentioned, was that I did medicine as an undergraduate. So I never got the opportunity to do any subjects other than medicine. I never got an opportunity to do an exchange for six months um, to another country. While I did overseas electives, they were for shorter periods of time. And I'd also developed this sort of interest in areas outside the day-to-day clinical life. So like you mentioned, doing some policy work with AMA Queensland Council of Doctors and Training, doing some work with a global surgery group called Incision and starting to do some clinical based research. And I could start to see that I had interests beyond just clinical orthopaedics. I really liked clinical research and was doing some interesting ortho projects, but I also really liked the policy side of things and understanding what things were important to the specialty more broad than just being an orthopaedic PHO. And so combining those two things, I always thought I would enjoy doing some type of postgraduate study, whether it was an MBA or maybe a master's of public health. But that was way down the track. That was after I got into training. That was probably going to be like part-time during training, maybe going overseas as part of a clinical fellowship. And then COVID happened. And during COVID, I was studying my master's of surgery online and remotely. And I thought it was a great educational opportunity, but I didn't really get the most out of it because it was difficult balancing it with clinical work. So COVID rolled around and I had heard it takes a couple of years to get accepted into universities that I was interested in. And so I thought, well, during COVID, maybe they have an online option. So I just applied thinking they may be doing it hybrid or something like that. And I was really surprised in that I got in. And I was really struggling with the decision about whether to go taking two years away from clinical work was something that you know, I didn't think was a great idea for my ultimate end goal of getting onto orthopedics and becoming an orthopedic surgeon. And it was kind of around the time that I felt like I was getting a lot of momentum with my operative skills and my clinical skills. And then I found out I got the Menzies Scholarship for Australia. And then I thought, it feels like I can't really say no now. And I remember this so well, the same orthopedic consultant who I had as a med student I called him up and i said oh i really can i have coffee with you and he said of course and i caught up with him for coffee and i told him and i was so scared to tell him he still tells me this and I said it like, I don't know what to do. Should I go? And he was like, of course you have to go. Like you have to go. You can't not go. And he was so supportive about it. And I was really, you know, I found that everyone I told have been super supportive about that decision. So while I am a planner, I didn't plan for it to happen. I didn't plan for it to happen at the time it did. Um, So it was kind of a combination of both. Any regrets? No regrets at all. I had a great time, and I think I'm a better person and doctor for having had that that very different experience.
0: Yes, I'm very confident that it will add to you becoming a really amazing orthopedic surgeon. So, from that, then your project, I believe that's part of your master's. I've sort of read a little bit about it. I did a bit of googling before in the lead up to our interview, and it sounds like you're project is going to change the way we treat urinary incontinence and really help change many lives. But I'm curious, why urinary incontinence? Because that's
1: quite far away from orthopedics. And how did you come up with the idea? So as part of my degree, I did research in orthopedics. So my thesis was on sociodemographic factors influencing kids with hip dysplasia. And separate to my master's, they run a competition across all of the university. It's almost a year long and it's called the Harvard President's Innovation Challenge. And I'd heard about it in my first year and I put it on my to-do list as something that I wanted to apply for my second year. And before I went over to Harvard in 2019, pre-COVID, I went and did a health innovation boot camp that they run through MIT and it was in conjunction with Harvard Medical School. And through that program, you get put into groups and you have to come up with an idea and build out a sort of business plan for some type of healthcare related innovation and through that process I had a coach there were several coaches but one of them was Australian and he'd worked uh, more on the business side of things he'd had done his MBA and was working over at Boston Scientific in the urology space And so fast forward to 2021, COVID's happened and he was just moving back to Boston with his wife. And so he reached out and said, oh, we both just moved to Boston. Do you want to catch up? And I said, yeah, that would be great. I don't know anyone. So we caught up and he was doing a year long fellowship at the medical school called a health tech fellowship that's combined between the medical school and the business school. and working with one of his fellows we had the idea about inconfidence, which is um, a device to manage urinary incontinence, like you mentioned. And that sort of came together from these two fellows' backgrounds. I'd both worked in urology. Neither of them were clinicians. And then my experience in managing incontinence of mainly elderly patients, more on the intern and resident side, meant that I could contribute the clinical application of trying to build this idea of inconfidence together. So that led to our idea and we entered it into the President's Innovation Challenge and we ended up winning. So that's how it all came about, was through a connection i made a few years ago and through his fellowship that he was doing over there.
0: Wow, that's amazing. And again, I can hear that you very much approach things with an open mind and doors open up to you and, and you sort of took a chance and walked through it and gave it a go and that's how you end up where you are. I guess also though, in my head, and I can imagine other people hearing your story might also think the same thing, is that wow, you're such an amazing, highly decorated and you've achieved a lot and that can be quite intimidating for a lot of people and even I would say so myself. I'd imagine that some people would even think, I don't know if I can do that, even if I did want to do something similar, I'm not sure if I can do that. Do you have any advice for anyone who have that kind of self-doubt in them if they had a desire like yourself in pursuing a postgraduate study and taking time off clinical work, hitting pause?
1: Yeah, I think specifically to taking time off to clinical work and pressing pause, I only had great experiences with it. I think now that I've come back to clinical work, I'm not as far along with my skills that I might be if I'd spent the full time in clinical practice. But I think my sort of greater appreciation for the services doctors have to provide are more enhanced. So I think the skills that I learned from having some time more in the academic space means that I might be a little bit better in some of those non-technical skills, things like collaboration, just from doing research with a whole number of different people. I did a wonderful course when I was there about leadership and it was actually run by someone who is a world-renowned professor of leadership called Ronald Heifetz, but is actually a physician himself. He was a psychiatrist. And I think those experiences mean that On my day-to-day practice i'm probably a little bit more comfortable and competent in those non-technical skills that may be a little harder to develop than just your day-to-day hospital life so if anyone's thinking about taking the time off clinical work i think it's a really beneficial i may be a little bit biased because i think i had a great time and i learned so much but I do think it is really beneficial, and it's also a great opportunity to learn something completely different from anything you might have learned or experienced before. I could now tell you all about random things to do with building a business model, or or how to conduct interviews with people about potential innovations, and that I would never be able to have told you that if I hadn't gone overseas. Similarly, I can probably tell you a little bit more about how to write good policy or how to write good speeches all from subjects I was able to do over there. So I think it's a really good opportunity for anyone who might be thinking about doing it.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like medicine isn't all just about the clinical work alone. Like you said, there's a lot of human social elements to it. And it sounds like all the skills you learned whilst you were in Boston very much is still relevant.
1: And it's very interesting how the skills you learn in medicine can transpire to other areas. So, for example, I did a venture capital fellowship while I was over there. And there were so many times I was sitting through pitches and I ended up saying to my mentor in that program that I actually think like venture capital is very similar to surgery or medicine where there's a complex problem. You're thinking about it from all these different angles or perspectives, all the different stakeholders who might be involved. At the end of the day, you develop this level of intuition that everyone talks about, but no one can really describe. It just exists and everyone develops their own intuition and you don't necessarily know the impact of your decision straight away. And I was sitting there and I was like, wow, venture capital is something that I feel like I could pick up really easily because I had learned those like very sort of niche skills from being a doctor. And so I think it makes you have an appreciation for the non-technical part of our job.
0: So, Helena, you have a lot going on. It sounds like you're spinning a lot of plates. As I mentioned earlier, you've achieved a lot and still are achieving a lot. How do you balance this all? Like, do you even have time outside
1: of work to live your life? Yeah, definitely. I think being able to find a balance that works for you is really important. Something I learned, I think, back in like high school was. Someone put this picture in my head, which is very simplistic, but it's basically a a house where there's a roof and there's four columns that's holding up the roof. And the total of the four columns equals 100. So you can't spend any more than 100 between those four columns. And they're divided between work, study, or like professional development or extra things that you're doing, friends and family, and then time for yourself. And the idea or the picture in my head is that it doesn't matter if one of the columns is really, really big for that period of time. Say you're on a really busy rotation, your work column may be sitting at like 70%. There always has to be something in the other three columns for your roof to be able to stand. And so even if one particular area of life is very dominating in that period of time, you have to be able to make for the remaining 30% make time for those other three things. And there always has to be something in each of the columns. And I use that as a really good reminder of saying, even if I'm really busy with work and I'm trying to finish a research project, so the professional development slash study and work columns are dominating my life, There always has to be at least 5% in the friends and family and time for myself. And so I use that to sort of try and visually balance my life. And those columns are fluid, they can change. This week you're on call, work's dominating life, but next week you have a day off. So that's time for friends and family and for yourself Um, or maybe sort of finishing a project that was stressing you out. And so having those columns change reminds me that all four components of my life are important, but they may be dominating my life in particular periods of time. The other sort of image I have in my head is the stress performance curve I'm sure most people have seen as your stress increases after a certain level, your performance starts to decrease. And I think being able to just check in with yourself and say, where am I at on that stress performance curve and knowing what things can reduce your stress. If it is, like I say, going for a swim and following that black line up and down the pool, that's my way to reduce stress. Going for a walk, playing with my dog, those sorts of things and just being able to collect data in yourself about where you're sitting on that curve and having the sort of insight to be able to reduce that stress if you feel like you may be creeping up a little bit high. So that's sort of the two things that I use to try and maintain a balance in my life, but also checking in and reminding myself to check in with myself about where I may be sitting in terms of building up stress or having too much on my plate using that as a way to reevaluate the goals and maybe cut down on some things.
0: I really like that first analogy with the roof and the four pillars because I think there's often a misconception that achieving work-life balance means that it's all in equilibrium and you correctly pointed out that actually it's very fluid that one week it might tip more towards work and then another week it might be life and I think putting it in that sort of perspective makes it not feel so. What's the right word?
1: It doesn't feel so strict.
0: Yeah, and and you won't feel so guilty, like oh my goodness, like I'm sort of um, leaning more towards work this time. You know, if we're thinking of just a scale like with two ends, that's a bit too black and white. When actually it's all. Shades of gray, where kind of almost like if we're thinking of osmosis, kind of thing where the particles have to move backwards and forwards, but really it won't ever fully just be in equilibrium all the time. It just will constantly, because we're adding things into the mix and taking things away sometimes. So, yeah, I really like your analogy.
1: Yeah, it's very simple, but it's just something I have in my head. And like you said, if you're having a busy week, the other three things are important. Or if you're having, a holiday it's the time that you're refueling the tank and you're allowing yourself to have the other columns be a little wider.
0: That's very cool. So what's next on the horizon for you, Dr. Franco?
1: Well, I'm working as an orthopedic PHO and hopefully I'll get onto the program um, and hopefully I'll be able to become an orthopedic surgeon. That's still what the dream is. I think I'd still like to be able to balance and maintain some of those sort of unusual skills, I suppose, I was able to develop. Ones that are most relevant to what I imagine my career to look like is over the two years, I was was able to do a lot of research and so I could really strengthen my research skills. So I would really like to now be able to potentially supervise a research project with an interested med student or resident, which is something I've never done before while also being able to finish off a few of the papers that I've been working on that while I was on my time away. So it sounds like some exciting stuff a lay ahead for you. The beach. I really miss the Australian beaches. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, you got to have a bit of a work-life balance as well. Now to wrap things up, so this is a slightly different take on things. In an alternate reality... Where you worked in something
1: completely unrelated to healthcare, what would you do? I used to say I thought I would be an engineer. I never thought about engineering before I went into medicine, but I think now being on the other side of things and being a little older and knowing myself better, I think I would really enjoy engineering and it sort of fits how my brain works. But having gone away and having the time in the US, I went to New York quite often and I loved going to the Broadway musicals. So I think my dream job would be something to do with funding or vetting or getting to watch musicals for a profession. (laughs) That would be the dream job.
0: Yeah, like a critic of musicals. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom, Dr. Franco. Thanks
1: so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Creative Careers in Medicine podcast, a proud member of the Talking Health Tech podcast network.
0: Visit the Creative Careers in Medicine website in the show notes this episode for more resources to help you find the courage, confidence and skills to take control of your career and forward your own unique path. The Creative Careers and Medicine podcast acknowledges the traditional owners of country throughout Australia, and recognizes the continuing connection to lands, water, and community. We pay our respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to elders past, present, and emerging.